Good morning. Good to see everybody out this morning. We'll be continuing on in Keach's Catechism this morning. We've been talking about the effectual call, those who have been effectually called by the Lord, the benefits that they receive in this life, the benefits they receive at death in the afterlife. Today and for the next couple weeks, we're going to be transitioning into the doctrine of hell. What happens to those at death who are not effectually called? A very sobering truth, we know that we have a God of love, of infinite mercy and kindness, long-suffering, not willing that any of his children would perish, but come to the knowledge of the truth. But equally is our God is a loving God. He is a God of wrath and a God of judgment who will not acquit the sinner. The debt must be paid for the sins that have been committed against a thrice holy God. Acts chapter 17, verse 31, I'll just read it to you. It says, because he, speaking of the Father, hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. The very one that came and died on the cross will be the very one that would judge the world. In Matthew 10, 28, and it says, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Let's pray before we go any further. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray for your help this morning, Lord. Uh, a horrifying, scary truth, Lord, that there will be many that will not receive the gift of eternal life purchased by Jesus Christ, but in their hard and penitent hearts that they will reject the gospel, and throughout all eternity they will be tormented in the flames of hell. Lord, I pray that you'd help me this morning. Lord, Father, forgive me of my sin. Let me not go beyond what you once said this morning, dear Lord. I pray that you'd open our eyes to this, Lord, how great a punishment is coming for those who believe not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for your help, Father. In Christ's name we do ask it. Amen. Amen. Our question this morning is, what shall be done to the wicked at death? Our answer is the souls of the wicked shall at death be cast into the torments of hell and their bodies will lie in the graves till the resurrection and judgment of the great day. Just as we spoke of believers at death last week, their bodies are still on the ground waiting for that last day, the resurrection. Those of the damned, their bodies still lay in the grave and their souls or in hell being tormented right now, but a resurrection, the resurrection of life and the resurrection unto the death, as the scripture teaches us, will happen at that last day. And those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. If you would, turn to Luke chapter 16, and we'll look at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Luke chapter 16. And we'll start in verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen 
and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Notice he's making a contrast between the death of two people here. In verse 23, and it says, In hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Notice, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou or torment. The truth of hell is torment. Now I've heard it said like this, and this is a false statement, but this is how I've heard it said for most of my life. The worst part of hell is the absence of Christ there. That's not true. The book of Revelation says that they will be tormented before the face of the Lamb for eternity. The one executing the punishment is the one who come as a lamb, but now as a lion. They've broken his law. They have trampled underfoot the blood of his covenant. They've considered it worthless. Eternal punishment will happen because of that. Matthew 3, if you'll turn there. Matthew chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. I'd like you to see something here. John the Baptist talking about two different type of people here. And he says this in verse 10. He said, Now also is the axe laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth forth good fruit is hewn, I'm sorry, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you. Notice two baptisms here. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, I've heard most of my life that that fire baptism was a second baptism that you could receive when I was in a charismatic church to where you could receive more power from the Spirit. But notice the context of here, this baptism of fire. He just spoke in the verse before it about every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The very next verse 13, I'm sorry, 12, it says, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. Speaking of the wheat and the floor, where the tares and the wheat will be separated, 
And he will gather his wheat into his garner. In other words, the good stuff he will put into his barn for safekeeping. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That baptism of fire is not a Holy Spirit baptism where you could speak in tongues and have special revelations. It's the flames of hell. Every time fire was called down from heaven in the Bible, whether it was with Elijah or whether it was anywhere else, it was judgment. Proverbs 16.4 says, The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. That's a hard verse right there. The truth of the matter is that we have all been born into sin. David said, In iniquity did my mother form me. I was formed in iniquity in my mother's womb. There's none of us that deserve to be saved. It was by God's mercy that he looked down upon his fallen creation and chose to save some. Ordained from the foundations of the earth that he would do that, a specific people, a specific people that he would come in human flesh and die for and bear their sins. But there's also a specific people that he did not die for that are of that other seed, that seed of the serpent spoken of in Genesis chapter 3. Romans 9, if you would turn there with me. We'll look at the correlation between these two seeds. The ones who are effectually called and the ones who are not. We'll read quite a few verses here. We'll start in verse 8. Actually, start in verse 7. It says, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. <clears throat> that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. There's a difference. There's a correlation going on here. He's going to talk about two different seeds. For this is the word of promise at this time, I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, the one where the seed was promised. Notice here in verse 11, it says, For the children not being yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. A choice was not made based on how they acted. It says right here that they were chose before they were even born, before they could have done any good or evil. Verse 12, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, where? In the Old Testament. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have, have I hated? There's two seeds right there. I will put enmity between you and the serpent. Genesis 3.15 You will bruise his heel, 
but he will bruise your head to seeds. The seed of Christ to come and the seed of the wicked one, the serpent. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Well, that's not fair. These kids wasn't even born yet. God's picking and choosing? How dare he? The seed of the serpent thinks that way. How dare God choose? God forbid, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And notice in verse 16 right here, anyone who wants to believe free will, it says this, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Not man's will, not his works, not his running. I was an Arminian for most of my Christianity. And the Bible says that if you walk with Christ, you will be persecuted. I found very little persecution when I was in an Arminian church. Other than you be so mean to people that they despise you. But when you hold to this doctrine right here, and I can tell you this from personal experience, self-professing Christians hate you. And they hate a God that would pick and choose whom he would save. Please don't get me wrong this morning. I'm not trying to stir emotions or anything like that. I'm just trying to preach the truth that there are two different people. There are two different seeds. They are sheep and they are goats. Sheep can't turn into goats and goats can't turn into sheep. I don't care how much truth you give a goat. A goat's a goat. And that's hard to say. And that makes the hair stand up on some people's necks, but it's the truth. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, if you would. And I'll give you an example of how a goat can't turn into a sheep. Speaking of this same Esau, the seed of the wicked one. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says, Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and trouble you, and therefore many be defiled. And notice here it says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as who? This same Esau. For for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And notice here in verse 17 he says, for you know that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Esau was not sorry for what he did. He was sorry he got caught. Repentance is a gift given from God by the Holy Spirit. 
Regeneration cannot happen unless a dead man is quickened. Esau was dead in his trespasses and sins. Esau was of that other seed, the same seed Cain was that slew his brother Abel. Abel was of that good seed. And the Bible says that his blood even cries out now. Joshua 11.20, I'll read it to you. It says, For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them <laughs> utterly, and that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. For it was the Lord that hardened their hearts, drew them out into a battle to go against his seed, and he destroyed that wicked seed. Psalm 49, 14, if you'd turn there, please. And in no way, shape, or form am I picking on the non-elect this morning. I want everybody to see the truth of where we were headed before Christ intervened. And to move in your hearts to a greater level of gratitude of what he saved us from. What he took upon himself at the cross of Calvary. How great and loving and merciful of a God because there's no difference between me you and Esau other than Christ's love. So I'm not picking on Esau this morning. Psalm chapter 49, verse 14. The psalmist here says, Like sheep they are all laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. They'll be consumed. Their beauty gone. All the hopes and dreams and aspirations they had in this world gone. John 3, if you turn there. John chapter 3, let's look at verses 18 through 21. We know 16 so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And most of the time we stop right there. Verse 18 says this. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, 
neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Notice how he's talking about two different people right here. Two different seeds. They will not come to the light. How many times have you presented the gospel to people over and over and over again? And I'm not trying to be dismissive or anything like that or cruel. They can't hear. Not that I stop. I do not know who the elect is. I like how Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, I, if I know who the elect was, if God had would have painted a yellow stripe of their back, I would walk down the streets and pull up shirt tails. But until that, I will preach the whosoever gospel. Whosoever will may come. The spirit and the bride say come. Anyone who is athirst, let him come and drink of the waters freely. Verse 36 in John chapter 3. He believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. Friend, this morning, if you have not believed, in the only name of the begotten Son of God, the wrath of God abides upon you. There'll be no second chances. There'll be no grading on a curve. Well, I'm a good person. I'm not as bad as this guy next door. I give to charities. I pay my bills. I take care of my children. There are many, many, many moral people that split hell wide open. Amen. The scripture says that by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his presence. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. We cannot keep it. Matthew 7, if you turn there. And we're not just talking about those who are out in the world. We're talking about folks that sit in church on the membership roll. Jesus promised this in the scripture. Verse 13 in Matthew 7. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in there because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few be there that find it and notice what he says in the next verse in the context right here beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravening wolves a different seed the seed of the serpent comes into the church to do what? Just as Genesis 3.15 said, to bruise his heel. To take away that good thing. 
to try to make the church impotent. Verse 16, you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorns or figs or thistles? Of course not. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down. And what happens to it? Cast it to the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. And notice here, not everyone that saith unto me, saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. I'll stop there for a minute. You recall the passage of scripture when Jesus just came from feeding the 5,000? And they came and they met him on the other side of the river. And they asked this question, what must we do to do the works of God? Jesus' response was to him this, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. That's the work. We're looking to Christ same thing in this passage here he that doeth the will of my father which is in heaven what is that will not completely but one aspect of that is to believe upon him to look to him for your righteousness verse 22 for many will say to me in that day and notice what they say they didn't say that they believed they showed them their pile Look at my works. I, I, look what I did. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? They were perfect, pious Christians in their own minds. But this is what Jesus says to them, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Their good works, according to Jesus Christ, was sin. That's a hard pill to swallow right there. Matthew chapter 13, since we're in the book of Matthew, let's look at something else. Is it okay if I go a little longer this morning? We're not we're not doing children's ministry, huh? I'm just I'm I'm just asking. That's fine. Okay. Matthew thirteen. Let's look at verse twenty-four through thirty. And we'll see this same instance right here. False brethren amongst us. Verse twenty-four. And another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. 
So the servants of the household came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Will thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Sometimes that we think that God should just remove these things now, but he has such tender loving care for us. He said, no, no, no. I'll separate them at the end. Let them grow together right now. He's got a purpose and he's got a plan in that. Verse 30, let both grow together into the harvest and it's the time of the harvest. And I will say to the reapers, gather you up first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. You'll see the two seeds right there again, the seed of Christ and the seed of the wicked one. And what ultimately happens to them. It's not based upon their works either. It's based upon the love that's shown to them by Christ and our Father and the Holy Ghost that they determined do, to do before the foundation of this world. Ezekiel 25, 17, I'll just read it to you. And this is God speaking about what he would do and it says, I will execute great vengeance upon them with furious rebukes. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I shall lay my vengeance upon them. This God of love is also a God of vengeance. A God of wrath. A God of justice. He could not just look at our sins and say, hey, I'll just sweep that under the rug and I'll forgive you. He would be unjust if he would not have put it upon Jesus. That's why the scripture says that he could be the just and the justifier of those who believe. Because the debt has been paid by the perfect one. Perfectly harmless. Perfectly pure. Christ stood upon that cross, never having committed a sin. But mine and your sins was put on him. And his righteousness was put upon us that day. I love how Paul says it. He says, Where is the wherein is there boasting? There is none. We're the recipients. Romans 12, 19, I'll read this to you as well. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. In Revelation, it talks about the souls under the altar, and they say, how long, O Lord, will you not avenge our blood upon them that dwell upon the earth? Don't think it's not coming. When he comes back. It's gone. It, it actually, in a passage, 
in the book of Revelations, it talks about that wrath coming and it says that it will be complete silence in heaven for a span of like 30 minutes. We'll be all in shock and awe of what we see, of what he does to those who do not obey him. Hebrews 10, if you turn there, just a couple more verses. Twenty-eight through thirty-one. Actually, start verse twenty-seven. It says, "But for a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries." That doesn't sound gentle. He that despised Moses' law without mercy under two or three witnesses. And notice here in verse 29, Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, who hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know that him that saith, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. In verse 31, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I'm not trying to scare you this morning. I grew up with such hellfire preaching to where it scared me so bad I was at the altar every Sunday. Because I knew for certain I didn't want to go to hell. But I also didn't want to give up my sin. Decisional regeneration. You preach it hard enough, you'll get a response. I believe if you preach it right enough and let the Holy Spirit do His work, you get some real fruit out of it. Matthew 25 And this is a very familiar passage. Just look at one verse in it. The parable of the sheep and the goats. Get verse 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, the goats, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is a reality, it's not a state of mind. Those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, they will not burn up. They will not be annihilated in the flame. They will burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It says a place where the worm dieth not horror, torment. This is what God will execute upon them that do not know him. 
Isaiah chapter 5, if you'll turn there. It truly is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Isaiah chapter 5. Verse 11. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink that continue unto the night till wine inflame them and the harp and the viol, the tabreth and pipe and wine are in their feasts. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. Therefore, my people are going into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. That wicked seed, those tares that was sown among the wheat came in and corrupted them. Therefore, many became defiled. Verse 14, therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. Wide it opened her mouth. And their glory and their multitude and their pomp, meaning their arrogance. And he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. And the mean man shall be brought down and the mighty man shall be humbled. And the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted, notice, in judgment. And God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. As equal as he is as a God of love, he is a God of wrath and a God of justice. 2 Corinthians 5.11 the Apostle Paul said this, he says, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. We know that God will punish the wicked one day, and Paul says here, we persuade men, be made right unto God. The very next couple verses it talks about he has given us the ministry of reconciliation to tell people and to warn people there is a hell. There is a lake of fire. There is punishment for your wickedness. There is punishment for your sin. Turn to Christ and flee from the wrath to come. Mark 8.36 says, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? If you are outside of Christ this morning, will you stiff harm him? Will you say that I'm okay? I'm not as bad as the next guy. God will not judge me like that. I do not need Christ. Oh, friend, you need Christ. You need Christ like you never thought you'd need Him before. And when you wake up like that rich man did in hell and lifted up his eyes 
It's too late. There's no second chances. Today is the day of salvation. I'm not giving an altar call or nothing like that. I'm just telling the truth. Jesus Christ, do you want not to go to hell? That should not be your reason. I want Christ. I want His righteousness. I want to turn away from my wicked ways. I want to be clothed in His love. I want to be clothed in His righteousness. I want to spend eternity with Him. If He'd be in hell, I'll go to hell with Him. I want Christ. Is that the cry of your heart this morning? Our last verse this morning while we in Isaiah, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 55 and I'll close. read two verses Isaiah 55 verses 6 and 7 seek ye the Lord while he may be found call ye upon him while he is near let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Jesus said that my sheep hear my voice, and they come unto me, and I give them eternal life. Not only in this church building, I don't care if you've been in church 40, 50 years, I don't care if your name is on the roll. Those of you who listen to this over the internet, do you know this Jesus? Have you believed upon the Son of God? Do you believe that He stood on that cross, bore your sin in your place? Do you believe that you are undone as Isaiah was in Isaiah chapter 6 when he seen the vision of the Lord? He said, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips and I have seen the Lord. And His holiness and I am undone. Have you seen Christ that way? Do you realize, do you understand that there is no forgiveness of sin outside of the righteousness of Jesus Christ so being given to you? Excuse me. This is the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you hold to that for your eternity? Are your sins washed away or have they been made white as snow? Or have you just made a mental assent to that truth? Or do you hold on to that with your whole being? To me, I'm reminded of Jacob when he wrestled that angel. And I believe that angel that he wrestled was Christ. He wasn't doing good at winning the fight. He got his behind handed to him. And what did he do? He wrapped his arms around his leg on the ground, beat to a pulp, I would imagine. And he said, I'm not letting go until you bless me. 
brothers and sisters, friends, that's been the story of my Christian life. I've been holding on to Christ because I got nothing to bring to the table. If he don't bring me through to the other side, I'm not going to get there. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame. Look to Christ. If you don't know him this morning, he promises. I don't know whether you're elect or if you're not elect, but he promises this, that no one who comes to him that way, he will cast out. Amen. Let's dismiss. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your great love, dear God. And we also know that in the book of Revelation that when you pour out your wrath upon this earth, that we will say that you are righteous and just to do such things, Lord. If there be any in here that do not know you, Father, I pray that you'd use what you gave me to say this morning. Dear Lord, I delivered what you gave me. I pray that you could do only what you can do with it. In Christ's name we do pray and ask it. Amen.